Hello, hello, hello. Everybody. Welcome back to the Well Said Business Podcast with Connor Benham and the evil bald And before we get stuck into it, I have to remind you to get yourself a copy of the book, you cheap fucks, wellfedbusiness.com forward slash book. It's uh, M82, the kick-ass guide to reply reliably, predictably, and aggressively sell to attract the right clients and sell to them at premium rates, fees, or prices. And if you get yourself a copy, you get what is it? I think it's nine. I think I counted forty plus hours worth of content. Oh. Essentially, oh, probably nine. Nine unbelievable free gifts. Shit out of content, and it's all good mm. stuff. I mean, some of this stuff is live. Yeah, it's not crap. No, some of this stuff. It's live recordings from events I've done in the past, and people paid up to £2,500, I think, for one of them to come. That was attitude adjustment. Did they get that one? I think so. I think I'm not do. entirely sure. And I think they do. Yes, they do. And when they, they came along, and people came from Canada and New Zealand and Australia and the Philippines to my events in Cork. So they'd travel a fucking long way to the arse end of nowhere to sit and listen to me. That should tell you something. And pay two and a half thousand pounds to do so. That should tell you something. Regardless of what you might feel, your first impressions of me, uh, these are very smart people, some of them running multi-million pound businesses. So there's a very good chance they might something about me, you don't. Yeah, and this isn't pure altruism. Yeah, we're doing this to, so you can see firsthand just quite how fucking good we are. Uh, we don't buy into the whole give value until well, people ask you to sell to them. We don't buy into that mantra. We don't believe in it. Uh, we're doing this to to show those that are the right fit for the shit that we do quite how good and special we are. And also, we don't believe in spending five minutes on creating shitty bonuses. It's just not us. It's just not us to hand out crap like that. So get yourself a copy of the book. Uh, it, if you don't like it, you get double your money back plus a free pizza. Yeah, there's a nice bit really when and people on LinkedIn in particular. I and mean, we always use LinkedIn as an example because that's where most business owners are on social media. I mean, I know they're on TikTok. LinkedIn is really where the business people are on social media. It's the hub. And they genuinely believe that top quality clients are looking for five killer ways to write a new headline or 10 surefire steps for your morning routine. They really believe these people are looking for that. The kind of people who are looking for that shit are people who are not generally not yet successful. I haven't got any money to pay. There are exceptions. I know there are. But in the main, you know, you yeah. don't find these top quality clients. If you go fishing for, I don't know, anything, you've got to use the right bait, haven't you? And the bait for a busy CEO of, say, a ten million pound business who might they won't blink at paying, say, a twenty k invoice. You know, he or she is not looking for dribs and drabs and stuff to make him an extra few quid. They want important stuff to solve important problems. And five ways to write a headline or a new morning routine ain't it for the most part. Nope. It's nope. Just- and I know this is true. Because I was once skint and 16 years old trying to, to learn as much as I could. And I used to love those five ways to do X headlines. Oh, they used to lure me in. Oh, well, did. Oh, did I subscribe to every email and did I download every freebie I could find? Absolutely. Did I ever spend any money? No, I had no money. I was fucking 16 years old. <laughs> any money that I did add went on fucking fags, booze and birds. Like, it's quite simple. The rest of it you wasted. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and now we got some cash. We fucking, when we have problems, we have money. So I'm not looking for your five free tips. I'm looking to spend some cash to fix the fucking problem. I mean, this is endemic. I went to a local gym down the road to, to, when I first started trying to fix my mobility. It didn't work out very well. But the the guy was taking around the gym and, and he kept saying, oh, and we could do it at the most affordable option. And I kept saying to him, I, I care about the price. I just want to get fixed. I just want to fix these problems. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, and we've, we've got various plans so they're affordable. It's like, will you listen to me, you stupid fucking cunt? Yeah, and he wants. No, don't you hate it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was. Don't you hate it when people spend your money for you? Yes. I really fucking hate that. I, I remember I went to a gym. It was above the co-working place where I was renting a, a permanent desk, a permanent office. There was a gym upstairs. It was a private gym. I've been in the gym before, but I still wasn't confident in the gym with how all the machines work. So I thought, upstairs, private gym. Hey, presto, perfect. Went in there, and um, he immediately started trying to justify his prices. I was like, for fuck's sake, here we go. He was like, look, from looking at you, you're probably going to do the the, the hundred pound a month, but but it's good value, and here's why: you get you, you get four personal training sessions a month, and it means you can come in twice a week uh, and have the gym to yourself. Maybe there'll be one other person in here. It's really good value. It's really good value. He couldn't believe it when I said I don't fucking want that, and ended up paying him three hundred pound a month for the for the the fast track package on teach me everything. He was like, "Why have you just spent that money?" I was like, oh, "For fuck's sake!" Do you remember you know Phil Phil Agostino? He won't mind me yeah. telling you this because I take the piss out of him publicly all the time. When I first started working with Phil in 2016, oh, I was still working with him now. He had this package on his website, 1,500 quid, and I says, yeah, i do that. And I had to chase him to send me the... I said, I want to pay you this. Will you send me the invoice? Yeah, I will. Where's my invoice? Oh, it's coming. <laughs> And I said to him, Look, why, why, the, why is this so difficult? He says, I've never sold one of these before. I don't know. What, I feel a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> For fuck's sake, just shut up and take my money, will you? I, uncomfortable. I mean, now he's, I don't know what he sells at, man. Probably five, six K or something. It, it just makes me laugh that people are so... Now, and this is actually a good lead-in to what we're going to talk about. Because what we're talking about is extreme ownership today. Which is, which is, and the, I know the connection is not obvious, but I will explain it. And the connection to being separate from your emotions, controlling your emotions rather than allowing them to control you. When it, well, in, in life in general, it's a good skill. But certainly when it comes to business, the connection isn't obvious. I will explain it when we get there. But this emotional people project their feelings of money onto others. So, you know, Connor has said this before, and I've said it as well, and that is we sell like we buy and we buy like we sell. So if you've got someone on LinkedIn who's always offering discounts and they're low priced, when they want to buy something, they will be looking for discounts and a low price, pretty much always. A great example of this to show that it applies to the, the high and mighty as well as the low and, and hum, humble is um, Michael O'Leary of Ryan. Ryanair sell at a cheap price. Everything is discount this, discount that. But they also, from what I hear and, and what I've read, and I think it's also in his um, uh, book, in his book, A Life in Full Flight or something, they also spend their money the same way. They, they are apparently notorious and ripping people off, not paying their bills, trying to knock down an already agreed price. Uh, reneging on their agreements, handshakes and things. You know, I, I get why they do it, but the thing is, you know, th this is this is not a criticism of O'Leary and Ryanair. This is an observation of people's behaviour in general. So when you when when people and, and this is great because it means if if I if I see a prospect who's look at their website, look at the way they're behaving, if they are timid about price and they they are anally retentive about selling themselves i know that it's going to be difficult to get them to pay me a lot of money to teach them to do it differently there are exceptions of course but for the most part they, they give away a lot more than they think they're doing mm -hmm. talking of o'leary did you watch that video i sent you which one you sent me a lot of they ignore uh and yeah you're a cunt <laughs> um <laughs> He was, he was, I can't remember. He got something like a million signatures protesting this thing. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, but then these climate activists turned up and they cream pied him in the face. And he took it like a fucking champ. He thought, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh, it's lovely cream. It's lovely cream. Oh, it's delicious, this. Anyway, guys, and he's covered in all this cream and he's trying to talk to the press about his petition. 
And obviously, they immediately start asking questions about climate. How does he feel that he just got pied? Things like that. He goes, he was like, guys, I'm not here to talk about that. I got pied. They're not happy with me. Whatever. It tastes great. Let's talk about the thing. Fantastic. Stayed true to the mission. Didn't lose his rag. And quite frankly, came out of it looking far better than those who did pied. I throw this, yeah. It's a brilliant video. When did you send me that? Brilliant video. Uh, a week ago. Where did you send it to? What's that? Google chat. Google chat. Right, that's probably why I didn't see it then. <laughs> yeah, but... So anyway, so when when you are thinking, oh, somebody, this person can't afford that, you have, one, you don't have the ability, and two, you don't have the right to decide that. I mean, the guy, he's dead now, but the guy who used to own the farm where he lived on, before he died, left it to his son. He inherited it from his mother. He was a short, overweight, incredibly scruffy farmer. And he didn't mince his words. He liked us, but if he didn't like someone, he was he had no bones about telling them. He was a really nice bloke. I thought my kind of bloke anyway. Um but he was a millionaire. He was incredibly wealthy, but you'd never have thought so. So if he'd come into your shop dressed how he was and talking as he talked to buy a car, the chances are you'd have probably tried to sell him something cheap. Not realizing yeah. that, that the one thing the guy did not lack was money. Hello? It's, it's, a, it's a common, common, common mistake. People spending... If you're spending your prospects' money for them, for no good reason other than your own personal biases, you really got to stop that. One thing I'd recommend every person uh, does if, if they're the one dealing with the sales negotiation is start recording yourself whenever you can. Even if it's in person, like just have a little mic, you know, you can have it on the inside of your shirt. I don't know what the laws are around this. I'm not a lawyer, so you, you'll have to figure that out. Um, but listen back to yourself. Quite often, you'll find <laughs> you find yourself very embarrassing and very cringy. And why did I say that? Why, why did I keep talking here? And what you'll really hear is a little child begging for money. It's just five pounds, please. Please, I need some sweets, daddy. It's embarrassing. You're meant to be this respected business owner delivering yeah. a quality product yeah. or service. And you sound like a child begging for a fiver to get a magazine, a can of Coke, and a packet of Haribo. It's pathetic. No, I don't understand the focus about money as well and the price of things. You know, people say it's great value and it's affordable. Why are you even saying that? You are assuming. Yeah. Why did you say that? I mean, the great value thing is arguable, but saying it's affordable, saying that is completely devaluing what you're actually doing. And you're assuming that the other person is weighing up money against the value you provide. They, you don't. It's almost insulting. Because you're coming, also, you're, you're approaching them as someone who knows better than they do what they should value something at or as. Mm -hmm. Well, since when do you get that right? And define affordable. Well, exactly, yeah. You, you can't, can you? The, so stop saying it. It's not affordable to someone who's homeless. They've literally got no money. No. So where, where are you drawing the line in the sand here? It's a silly thing to say. It's ridiculous. And also, it's, it's not what people can afford. It's what they're willing to afford. I mean, you could say to me that you've got these, the world's best golf clubs, and you're going to make them affordable to me. I don't care, because I've got absolutely no yeah. fucking interest in golf clubs. Now, the only thing, yeah. way I'd buy those is if I could sell them at a profit. To the words out of my mouth, all of this starts uh, with who you're targeting. It starts at the very beginning, who you're going after, and that's not what today's episode is about. And we've, we've, we've that. beaten that topic to death recently. So uh, we definitely yeah. do not right. need to repeat ourselves there. Extreme ownership, Connor. What is it, mate? It's taking ownership of everything and anything that happens to you. And we do so we, so we can focus on what we can control and behave more analytically and problem-solving rather than victim-why-me mindset. Is that a fair summary? I think so. I think it's a fair summary. So we finished that one, then. Eh? Yeah, next. <laughs> next. Emotions. What, what are emotions? That's me, mate. Aren't they what women, toddlers, and gay men have? Something like that, and that's definitely um, getting cut out. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> I'll leave the bugger in. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, complete. I first 
I, I don't think it was called that. In fact, I, I I thought I invented the phrase extreme ownership, and and as far as I was concerned, I did. But then I also read some after the fact something by Jocko Willink, the ex Navy SEAL, who coined the phrase. So okay, he got it first, but whatever. Credit where credit is due. Um, but I first came across the concept when I read a book called, book by a guy called Robert Ringer, libertarian author. Um, some of his stuff is very good. He's also a bit weird. He's, I think he went into religious right conspiracy theory territory at, at times, which is real turn off for me. But some of his book, I mean, there's uh, action. Nothing happens until someone buys something or someone sells something. It's uh, winning through intimidation, which was later retitled as um, to be or not to be intimidated. Because uh, it's a choice of, poor choice of words. Winning through intimidation sounds like you're winning because of intimidation. What it actually meant was winning through as in winning in spite of intimidation. Um, and the other one, I can't remember what it was called now, but, but the, the story in there that was really struck a nerve with me was when he's having a, some guys to decorate his house or some building work, and they drop a ladder on the roof of his car, um, and it obviously does a lot of damage. If you want to, I mean, you want to do a lot of expensive damage to a car, smashing the roof, you know, because it's hard to fix. And he he then tried to sue them and all sorts and claim on their insurance, and they countersued. And in a moment of clarity, he realised he was spent. You know, the 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 bill was say five thousand dollars. I don't know what it was, just for the sake of argument, it's five thousand dollars. And he realized he was probably expending $20,000 worth of time, energy, and effort just to be right. And he was right, to be fair. It was their fault. But that's just ego speaking. And he said in that moment, everything changed. And he stopped trying to be right for the sake of being right and just let things go and just took responsibility. And that that worked for me. I mean, I've been, I did it right from that day. So when things go wrong, even if it's someone else's fault, I strongly encourage you to say, well, okay, that's my fault for not being more attentive, more doing more due diligence, being more careful, whatever. What have I learned from that? How can I stop it happening again? Because what that does is the moment you take responsibility, you stop looking at the problem in terms of it being a problem and you look in terms, start looking at it in terms of a solution. Mm-hmm. Which is far more, we do better next more effective and far healthier because the problem is there. Worrying about it and who caused it ain't going to solve it. That's where you are. It's like if the house is burning, it doesn't matter who started the fire. What's important is how the fuck do we get out of this? And there may yeah. may come a time afterwards for reparations and lawsuits. No, I'm not denying that's possible at some point. Maybe it's even desirable, but I suggest it's even yeah, if we're, it's possible. We're, we're not. It's probably desirable in fewer circumstances than we would think. Yeah, we're not saying we're going to bend over every single time, touch our toes to pick up the soap and go, oh, anyone can slide in. That's, no, no. that's not what we're saying here whatsoever. This is a anybody listening to this that has a team around them, if you are not taking extreme ownership of everything that happens inside of your company and instead you are stomping on your staff, making them feel like shit, blaming them when they make mistakes, you're a fucking nitwit because they're under your wing. They're under your guidance. And any mishaps that they, 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 they go through is through your own negligence. And by taking extreme ownership, not only will your staff and whatnot respect you more, work harder for you, it allows them to, to recognize the mistake and have the opportunity to claim it themselves. When, when you thrust it down their throat, you're not giving them any opportunity to take any responsibility. And you're not giving yourself any opportunity to fix the process. Because a perfect process shouldn't allow for any slippage like this. No. And of course, it does happen even with a perfect process. Um, but yeah, if you want to be an effective leader, uh, it all starts with extreme ownership. I remember the, the guy from IBM, I say remember, I, I remember reading about it. It was back in the 1956 or something. The, the guy, I think he was the first CEO of IBM, was once asked if he was going to fire a member of staff who'd made a $600,000 mistake which back in 1956 was considerably more than $600,000 is worth now. And it's not a small amount of money even today. And he said, why would I fire him when I've just spent $600,000 educating him? And it's a good yeah. point, you know? And I've I've had several people over the years come to me or, or either direct or they've been passed on by their, my own clients. What do I say to this person who's 
you know, my client, my client would say, my client is, uh, has just been stiffed on a 300 pound invoice and they've ghosted her. What does she do? And my answer is, well, for 300 quid, I would say chalk it up to experience and realize you've just spent 300 pounds learning the necessity of getting paid up front. And then mm-hmm. ask yourself, okay, so how can I stop this from happening again? Well, you do get paid up front. Okay, so where do I learn the skills? All of a sudden, you're on a completely different path and it only costs you 300 quid to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the bargain. It only costs you 300 quid and a bit of ownership. Yeah. And a bit of humble a bit part. of responsibility. Yeah. Let the ego go. I saw it. Because a lot of people, oh, that's not right. I've been fucked over. Yeah. Do you know my name, my family name? We can't be fucked over. <laughs> that's not what we stand for. Shut up. He was like that bloke in the car from that video that went viral. You know who I am? A what? Ronnie. Ronnie Pickering. Ronnie Pickering. No. So <laughs> fucking Ronnie knuckle, Pickering. Bare knuckle fighter. Or something. You know who I am? No. I'm Ronnie Pickering. So. <laughs> who? Ronnie Pickering. But I, I saw on a forum, I won't say where it was because I've revealed far too much about my habits. I, I read on a forum, it's about the fetish blog. Um, yeah. I, I read on a forum the other day, someone had been catfished by a couple. Basically, they said, yeah, we'll meet up for a threesome and but we want you to pay half the hotel bill. Send us the money. So he sends them half the money. It's only 45 quid. And of course, they ghost him. He'd been catfished. And he then posted, he's, I've got their bank details, so I know I'm going to look at ways I can get revenge. And I was thinking, you're really going to try and get revenge for 45 quid? What kind of a sad sack are you? Because that, that is pure ego. That is pure ego. You're not going to get your 45 quid back. And you want revenge. Why? It's ego. And it's pathetic. Now, that's the connection, by the way, between letting go of things emotionally and extreme ownership. Because the connect, the thing there, the, the important thing here, and I think this is true, this is the, this is like the bridge between them, is your ego. Often what stops us from taking complete ownership, extreme ownership, is ego. This isn't my fault. That person has wronged me. Do you know who I am? I'm Ronnie fucking Pickering. That's ego. And ego mm-hmm. is also driven. Ego also drives the emotions in selling and things. A, a classic, I spoke to a guy recently who's still kind of floating around in our world, yet to give us any money, but he will, who said, I don't understand it. I keep going into these sales meetings. Here's one the other day. He was talking about supply chain. This is the logistics firm. And he was wrong. And I told him he was wrong. And I said, oh, we can fix that. Our sister fixed that. And I was telling him, he says, but I've been in the business for 20 years. He said, I've been in for 25 years. <laughs> I said, so let me get this right. You you had an argument with this guy. You had a you had a dick-sized war and you didn't sell anything. Yeah. Ain't that a surprise? You know, even if you were right, it doesn't matter. You haven't made a fucking sale. And he only got into that dick-sized war because of ego. I've been in the business for 20 years. I've been in for 25 I know better than you. Mm. Well, you know, you can get into those arguments all day long. And I, I guarantee I, every single sales call I ever have, I could get on and I could tell these people how wrong they are. I never do. Yeah. If I did, my sales conversion rate would be about 1%, not 72.2. Yeah. How, how many how, how many sales do you make through an argument? Hey, how, how good are people at changing their mind when you're, you're having a full-blown row with them? Yeah, how, that happens how, all the time, doesn't it? How, Every time you have a shouting fit how, with your wife, she always changes her mind, doesn't she? She always goes, you know what? Because you've shouted at me, you're absolutely right. I know. Uh, how many people have ever shouted their wife, had their wife shouting at them and said, will you please calm down? How many times has it worked? <laughs> but seriously, meeting, I mean, there, there is there is an argument. There is a technique called uh, matching where some you can match someone's anger and then de-escalate. Because yeah. you know, you meet them at their angry point, and then you bring your anger down, and it's supposed to bring us down. And apparently, that that can work. But it that, does work. That, okay, fine. But I think there are probably better ways to do it. Okay, and sometimes mm-hmm. that, that yeah, sometimes it may be um, wise to do that, especially if the situation looks like it could turn violent. That's probably a good way to handle a potentially violent situation. Yeah, it's like gorillas. Yeah, but 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 certainly in sales, where it's much more unlikely to turn violent, but not impossible. 
But in something like sales, if someone's getting angry and upset, meeting them with anger and stuff isn't going to work. You know, no. getting into a dick-sized war and, and forcing your ego onto them will not work. Having a calm, composed mind is is strength. It's a real strength. I, I think it was Marcus Aurelius who said, a real man doesn't give away to anger, discant, dis, dis, discontentness, or seek revenge. The nearer a man comes to a calm mind, the closer he is to, to strength and composure. Some, something along those lines. And I, I believe that directly translates to, to how you should behave in sales. Yes, I agree with that. I think I think it goes beyond that. I think it's how we should be as as mentors, as fathers, as husbands. And please, mm. for the sex people who think I'm being sexist out there, I can only speak as a husband because I'm not a wife. Um, <laughs> uh, and indeed, as as, as pe- other people we care for, in, in even adults in different situations, like elderly parents um, mm-hmm. and the rest of it. Because let's face it, elderly parents and other people like that who have dementia for instance, and they're getting older, they often kind of regress to a sort of childhood in the sense they they start to lose emotional control. Well, getting angry with, say, an elderly parent who's got dementia is not going to serve any purpose whatsoever. You'll feel like shit. They will feel like shit for a while, but then they'll forget about it and the whole thing will happen just over all of <laughs> Well, it will. I mean, a friend of mine's uh-huh. father has um, got dementia and... He keeps saying, we need to go to the bank to get some money out. Now, yeah, he's got money, but he's not had access to his bank account for a long, long time because, you know, he just fucking... So what she used to do was correct him and say, well, no, we can't do that because... Well, that's... I need to accept it. But then 10 minutes later, he'd be saying, we need to go to the bank and get some money out. So she realised it was pointless. So what she would do is... This grates upon me, but I would do it. That is... She tells a little white lie. She says, yeah, we'll do that later. Because there's no point. It de-escalates the situation. <laughs> and of course, mm-hmm. together. I remember, this is the true story, right? It's fucking hilarious. And my dad fell and broke his hip. He's dead now. And he, and he was at all his marbles. He went into the Leicester Royal Infirmary, into this, this ward. So we, me and my brother went to visit him. And there's a bloke in there. And he, he'd had a fall and he'd hurt himself quite badly. And he woke up. And he goes, where are we? So the guy in the next bed says, we're in Leicester Royal Infirmary. All oh, right. Uh, bit, bit cold weather out there. Isn't it? Where are we? And he, he must ask, where are we? But Well, within two minutes, as we timed it, it was at least within a two-minute time span, over and over and over again. And the guy in the bed next to him, he couldn't move, couldn't get out of his bed. <laughs> he started losing his temper. What are you? Shut up! All right, get your hair on. Let's get angry. Where are we? Fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, my brother would oh. Poor bloke. Oh, God. It's important to know, especially again, re- referencing to sales where you want to be in control of the situation as much as possible. Anybody who can make you feel something, if you truly believe someone can make you feel something, if someone can, can, is capable of angering you, they're, they're, they're essentially your master. Yeah, they're, so they're they're, they've got you on strings like a puppet. You've got no self-control over that. Exactly. You've made me angry. And apparently that's a good enough excuse to excuse your anger and pass well, yeah. to the other person rather than take extreme ownership I, I, over I, your own behavior. The work of Adler, the psychologist, his view of it was often people don't like a situation and they want to shout about it. But but shouting is is not really done the done thing for adults, is it? Just suddenly coming out and shouting at no. Levy. So all they do is they manufacture anger. They make themselves angry to give themselves an excuse for shouting. It wasn't me, I was angry. And then, of course, it's, yeah. and you made me angry. And then we get the cliche, yeah. oh, your I'm sorry I hit my wife, I love her, but she made me angry. Well, if that doesn't, if that excuse doesn't fly when you hit, hit your wife or your girlfriend, why should it fly at any other time? Seriously. Mm-hmm. It's it's like, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but it was when I thought studying law was going to be a good idea when I was when I was a wee boy in college. And I quickly dropped that after a few weeks, realizing 
or is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, I wish I could remember the case, but it was essentially because he was blackout drunk, he couldn't be guilty of the crime because it wasn't him in control of himself. And it raises quite a cool philosophical question until you realise, no, you fucking idiot, you got really drunk, <laughs> you allowed yourself to get that drunk, and then you did stupid shit. It's the same with anger. Just because you was drunk, it doesn't doesn't eradicate any responsibility you have. No, you quite the contrary. We expect you as an adult to be able to control yourself. You made the choice, and get it's no different with drinking. Uh-huh. It's no different with drinking. It's no different with anger or any other emotion. It really isn't. People love to to point the finger at external circumstances, and those external circumstances and influences could be other people, and blame them for how they feel. And then there's a knock-on effect, blame them for their actions after that. And it, it, it's not just, okay, we're using anger because that's the most obvious one. But here's another one. How about business owners who won't learn to sell themselves because, well, I feel really bad because people might think I'm being salesy. So what other people, I'm inventing what other people might think. And I'm using that as an excuse for feeling a certain way and allowing that to dictate my actions. Well, no, that, that's 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 childish. I mean, look, I say, yeah, what are you, a fucking toddler? You have no idea yeah. what or, or when people feeling. And why would you care? Or when people say, I won't be very good at that, so I'm not going to do it. Oh, is that a recent one, by the way? <laughs> is that the one we spoke about earlier? Uh Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking of that when I said it, but I'm, I'm sure that planted the seed. Well, I also, because I've, I've, again, I think others, others have used the expression, but I invented this myself, and that is the phrase I use is the blame equation. And my blame equation is choices plus actions equal consequences. And, you know, I don't see any argument against that. I mean, we're talking about people now of sound mind and body. If you're not of sound mind, then you shouldn't be running a business. You should probably be cared for. And and out of the way, if you're not responsible for your actions, then you shouldn't even be loose in society because you're a danger if if you claim Mm -hmm. you're not responsible for them. So every adult, say on LinkedIn, running a business, it's reasonable to assume they are of sound mind. I'm not sure it's always the case looking at some of these people, but it's a reasonable assumption or expectation. Actions plus choices, or choices plus actions equal consequences every single time. When I bring this out, I get accused of victim blame. Well, that itself shows how pathetic people are. I made this choice. I don't want to learn to sell. Okay, that's the choice. The action is what? I work for free, or I just let people ghost me, hoping they're going to say yes. The consequence is I work for free, don't have any money. I'm struggling to pay my bills. Telling you, pointing this out, that this is actually a direct, there's a direct correlation and a direct causal link between you not charging enough and selling yourself and you having no money. That's victim blaming. And again, it, this is all down to people's emotions and their ego because they won't learn to sell because they're afraid of what other people might think of them. Well, think on this. Every time you you don't do something or do something because of what other people might think. And bear this in mind, it's what you think other people might think, okay? You don't even ask them most of the time. So your your hallucinated fear of what other people may think if you do or don't do a certain thing is dictating your actions. That's ego and you have no control over your own life. That's a pretty fucking pathetic place to be for a grown-up in 2023, isn't it? The victim mindset is probably the most unattractive trait as any single person can hold. And I understand the legal black and white English Oxford Dictionary definition of victim. I understand that. But if you fully adopt and embrace that and wear it like a big sticker. And we all know. It's a cretinous behavior. We all know. It's cretinous behavior. I, I, I look at yourself, John, going through some... And you'll go, oh, it's not that difficult, but from the outside looking in, for anyone else would be going through it. Yeah, I, I, anyone else would say, oh, that, that's difficult. Oh, that's they say difficult. it to me. It must be really tough, they say to me. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And I knew you'd say this, but anyone else would then use, because I've seen it, I've seen it in, in, in family, I've seen it in friends, this thing has happened, therefore I cannot achieve X. And X is typically something that they've been talking about that they want to do. And now, now they've got this excuse, this reason that's going to allow them to fail gracefully and not even pursue that goal anymore. And we're not going to get into the details of it now, but you are in that situation where you could easily grab that sticker, put it next, next to your autistic one and say, Connor, I, I can't help with the business. I can't help us get the business to where I want to be because of this situation. And no one would blame me for it. No one would blame you for it. You'd get sympathy for it. You'd get a lot of likes. You'd get a lot of engagement. Oh, absolutely, wouldn't I? But we had that call, and we had we had a call ex- talking about where we want to take the business next. Uh, around the time, not recently, around the time where I was going through some shit, you got your massive fucking cannonball fired through the windows. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's why I put it. Yeah, and you went, "We're, we're going to fucking do this in spite of everything that's going on." Well, more like because of everything. <laughs> yeah because of everything yeah this is part of my arts to get this done mm. and that's such an attractive quality because exactly. if, if you can have that attitude it leaches out into your stuff it leaches out into your prospects it leaches out into your client list it's 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 infectious and well the thing is if i preach this stuff i mean we're getting a little bit i, I don't want to be too i don't want to be too preachy right now I'm certainly not looking holier than thou. But if if I preach this stuff and I teach this stuff and I sell this stuff and then I behave in a different way, what does that say about what I teach and me as an individual? And so I'm set, not only am I doing it per, for my own personal satisfaction because then I know I'm giving I'm contributing basically, and I know it even if nobody else does, and that's what's important to me. But if I don't do this. What example am I setting to my clients, to my wife, to my children, to you, to Holly? Well, Holly's both an employee and, a, and my, my daughter. What what message am I giving out? Yeah, b- be stoic. Not why why am I shit and I teach you how to do all this stuff properly? Oh, my wife is falling apart. I can't do this. Eh? That's not me. Now that should tell. That should give people a message because I th- I would hope anyone watching me and listening to me can hear that this isn't forced or a facade. It's just the way it is, you know. We we, we walk mm-hmm. out. And it has been. And it always has been. And it wasn't even a it, it wasn't even a conscious decision. It was it was instinct. It was well, what other option do I have? What other path is there yeah. to walk? Not a very attractive one. It just wouldn't occur to yeah, me exactly. any other way. It just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So we spoke about extreme ownership, taking responsibility for your shit. The bridge between that and emotional, uh, be, being do, keeping emotion out of things, because most emotions in business really boil down to ego. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, I've got a topic that I think we can riff on before we close up, um, and it's that it's that desperation to get the sale to Ugh. fuel the ego. Yeah. Oh. Because I'm pretty sure every salesman has been there at some point in their life. And that's when you get that stinky commission breath pouring out of your mouth hole. Your breathing breath. <laughs> oh, I love it. It reeks, doesn't it? It does. It reeks. You have to let go of the outcome when you're entering any form of sales negotiation. If you come across as clingy, overbearing, and desperate, they're not very attractive qualities, are they, mate, for, not, for someone you want to do something for you? What, what gets me is every, every man and woman, I suspect, knows this instinctively, that a, a member of their opposite, mm-hmm. or let's say a member of their preferred sex, who is clingy and needy and desperate, is not appealing or attractive to them. So why would mm-hmm. it be appealing and attractive in business? Because effectively they're the same thing. They, they are. I mean, so a clingy needy desperate man or woman who wants your sexual or rom- and a romantic in, um relationship with you why would that be any different from a a client or a prospect or a prospective uh service provider who's behaving the same way to get your attention and your money 
Why would it be any different? Why would why would it suddenly feel different? It doesn't, does it? So why do you think that you being desperate and needy and craving attention and money is attractive to your clients? Why do you think they treat you badly? Because they can. I mean, human beings are not very nice things, you know. You'd think that if someone shows mm-hmm. vulnerability to you, the natural reaction would be to be sympathetic and empathetic and help. It actually isn't, not with most people. Anthropologists would tell you this. The best time to kick a man is when he's down, believe me. <laughs> yeah, it's to kill him and eat his young. Yeah, it's really, and steal his wife and all his riches. It really is. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, case in point of letting go of the outcome. And that does involve behaving in contra- contrary ways, as, as to you might believe. Uh, speaking to a, one of our clients the other day, stop laughing at me. I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing with you. Enunciating things. I'm laughing with you, mate. I had a client the other day. Oh, okay. I had a client the other day. We had a client. We have a, an, an existing client who was very much concerned about how to deal with the, the question, how do we deal? Uh, what, what does it cost? And I gave him some techniques to try and almost beat around the bush and have some fun with it. And um, he said to me, but what do I do if they're really insistent, like really, really insistent on getting the price out of me? And I told him to, to say, well, it starts as, as it starts here and can go all the way up to here, uh, depending on needs, this, that, and the other. But the killer part that I told him to say was, now I get the feeling you're going to tell me that's way too expensive for you. And at that point, you stay quiet. The traditional sales advice is to state the price and then stay quiet. No, you've got to add on that little thing at the end. Now I get the feeling you're going to tell me that's way too expensive for you. He's had to use it twice now when he's been absolutely badgered for a price. And both times, they squirmed. Well, I can't afford it. It was I really can't afford it because they hate being told you can't afford yeah, it. Yeah, ego. <laughs> they sat there going, exactly, it flared the ego. They sit there going, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. It's more than I thought it was going to be. But but to be honest, I had no idea how much it was going to be. And it, it is a year-long program. And this is a real problem for me. And I do have the money. I really do. Yeah, that's not going to be an issue. When can we talk next? Both times. That is exactly what's happened. Pretty much to, to the yeah, T. Happens to me too. <laughs> when I talk to people. Yeah. Uh-huh. But if you're desperate for the sale, I hope that's okay. Yeah. Oh, we can is maybe do okay? something about the price. Yeah, yeah. We, we we can make it affordable. Yeah, or, or you know, we can negotiate. Price is negotiable. In fact, I'll do ten percent right now. Ten percent right now. Yeah, uh, in hopes of securing the sale. I mean, as as you will know, and as some people are maybe even watching this now because they've been through it with me. Right at the beginning of my calls, I will I will. In, I don't just state the price. I have a way of doing it. We can. I'm not going to tell people now because that would be foolish because they're not paying me. But I will say to them, basically, the price starts at this much and goes all the way. Well, there is no limit because it depends what you want us to do. But if if the entry fee is too much, we may as well stop this call right now because I don't want to get you hot under the collar and wanting something you can't or won't afford. What do you want to do? And I just sit there and shut up. And this is at the start of the call. So I get, listen to this, guys and girls. I never, ever get to the end of a call after wasting an hour or an hour and a half of my life and do the big reveal and have them say, well, I'd love to, but I can't afford it. That never, ever happens to me. The, what, the most amount of time I, I ever waste is probably 10 minutes at the beginning of the call because I said, oh, I too much. Okay, but why haven't we done that? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It is. It's poetry. The reason it's so beautiful is when I look at various other sales trainers and whatnot, a big part of their teachings and their programs is objection handling how to deal with objections at the end of the call. And the big ones are price, time, uh, and spouse or business partner. They're the big three. So they will spend the majority of their programs talking about how to deal with those objections after you've been speaking for an hour. I'll get them right yeah, away in the beginning. But people love it. They wank off to it. It's like this is the best thing ever because they believe they, – they kind of rightfully believe the objection is the only thing in the way of the sale. What they do not understand is sales call sales calls don't have to be that linear. You can put the end at the beginning. Yeah. You can deal with it that simply, that easily, and eradicate all of that shit. Yeah, I absolutely. I get all the the show stopping objections out of the way in the first twenty minutes. Yeah. 
And if if and if one of them raises up your head and it's an app, it is a Stoke showstopper, then we don't go any further. There is no point in me getting to the bottom of their problems, sharing the deep well, sh- sharing my presentation of how we can solve it and asking them to make the mind up. If I can get them to say at the beginning of the call, this ain't going to work because fine, and I don't let me know. I I actually don't like the 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 phrase and the the um. The, the 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 what I'm what I'm looking for the idea the process if you like of handling objections there's no such thing I think it's a misnomer because it to me it st- it smacks of getting their a reason they don't they might not want to go ahead and basically telling them they're wrong it, it's too fraught with danger mm. that, to, for them to buy I mean I can't really get into this without getting into a teaching which I'm not prepared to do because they're not paying me. But you you can't it, it's hard to what we want to do, what we want to do is we want them to sell themselves to us. So in that respect, we don't handle objections because there aren't any. You can't mm-hmm. object to yourself, not unless you got a strange mind, you know? So we mm-hmm. we we actually object to that. I guess another way to put it is we object to them. We challenge them. You won't do this because it's too expensive. No, it's not too expensive. You won't do this because you ain't going to put the time in. Obviously, I will put the time in. You ain't going to do this because you're so fucking lily-livered and chicken shit. You just let your wife boss you about. No, I won't. I'm my own man. So we actually yeah. overcome the... Ob- we, we don't overcome the objection. We make the objection first. And we don't... Well, and be very clear. And we let them deal with it. Yeah, we, we Be very clear about this. We don't bring up the objection so we can overcome it or handle it. We make the objection and make them overcome it for us think of it this way guys when you've got a prospect you've got a salesperson salesperson finally gets to the point where they make the offer and they've chucked the hot potato to the prospect hey what do you want to do with this hot potato and that's the offer the prospect then has this hot potato in their hands and they go i can't hold this hot potato because i need to speak to my business partner bang now the salesperson's holding the hot potato and they don't want the hot potato oh, burning their hands. So, so so yeah, exactly. So then they come up with inane shit such as, does your business partner know you're struggling with this? And they'll go, yes. So do you think your business partner would be against you, you know, doing something to try and solve this problem that he already knows you have? Well, no. So don't you think it's better to ask for, for, uh, for forgiveness than permission? And then they throw the hot potato back, pat themselves on the back like a wanker and go, that's the best objection handling ever. And I, I promise you that is like considered gold, gold plus a star, a star gold, triple platinum diamond objection handling. That little that's secret shit there. That is. That's all. Yeah. And it's just this game of hot potato. And the whole time, this salesperson is getting potatoes thrown back at them that they don't want to hold. Yeah. So they shit themselves and they say stupid things. But the way we do it is this all sounds great, but your brother's going to be a massive issue here. So what do you think? We let them hold that particular potato rather than This is than your us. potato. And I'm yeah. not taking it until it's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuck off. Have your potato back. Yeah. I don't want your potato. It's your problem, not mine. Yeah. So we get them to overcome the objection for us. And, it, you know, yeah. be very clear again, this doesn't work every single time. Well, when I say it doesn't work every time, what I mean is we don't get a yes every time. Of course we don't. But it works every time. It, it does work every, every time. time. And my conversion rate on a five-figure, 17K, I think is the average sale. Was it 15? One of the two. Um, is 15. 15K. That's right. So I had to adjust it downwards because that guy yeah. dropped down, didn't he? Um, my average sale is 15K. And my conversion rate is seventy two point two percent, which is nearly four times industry average for this kind of product. So it's almost like mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, you know. Almost, almost. Sales is a game of service and qualification. It's not a zero sum game. There are no winners and losers. There is just right and wrong. And we're right. You're wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, is the product right or wrong yeah. for them? Yeah. And it is right for them. If you can't close it when it's right for them and they, they can afford it and you've, you've dealt with all of the black and white objections, the black and white actual qualification criteria, it's just a case of is it right for you or is it wrong for you? Well, the thing is as well, at the end of the call for me, there isn't the opportunity to have this massive list of objections thrown at me. 
because I've dealt mm. with them all. They've all been dealt with, and so they've all been dealt with by the other person. So the only, I mean, I do say to them, have you got any more questions? And one or two come up things like, well, how often are the meetings again? And that kind of thing. And is it just a video learning thing or is there a reason? Clarification. Clarification. That's all it is. But really, they have, there is only one question for them to answer from me. And there's only one thing they need to decide, yes or no. And that's set up at the front of the call as well. Can't think, there's no, mm -hmm. think about it isn't an answer. It's not allowed. Yeah, there's no yeah, but maybe. Because they will be dealt with. And it's so easy. And what else is it, Connor? It's fun. fun. Yeah. So fun. So if fun. you guys could hear and read the messages <laughs> me and John send Every day. in our little negotiation channel when we're dealing with prospects. <laughs> oh, I don't know what you'd feel, actually, but I know I feel incredibly happy and have a hell of a lot of fun. And our Voxer. Doing it. Oh, and Voxer. That works to your end. If we, oh. if we were to print them all out and or, and then record them onto video and stuff, or DVD or whatever and sell them as an education in marketing, how much do you think it'd be worth? It'd be worth tens of thousands, wouldn't it? Well, easy. We, we should well, consider it, you know, a high-end event somewhere exotic. Uh, you're going to have to twist my arm. I bet I can talk you around. You don't like doing events. I love doing events. I think it's pure ugly and, you, and people know it. <laughs> You'll have to twist my arm. Well, how about this week? Somewhere like, I don't know, Florida or somewhere. No, Florida's not exotic, but it's warm. Somewhere nice. Somewhere <laughs> nice and or exotic. Maybe the south of France. Flipping off. A lot of sunshine. You, me, maybe a dozen people, some hot Eastern European chips. And we'll teach them all the stuff that we don't teach anybody. I, I, I can I can be tempted, but as I said, John, this is a conversation to be continued and yeah. arms will need twisting. Yeah. I'll, I'll win in the end. I always do. I always get my own way. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Anything else? And on that note, where should they go? What should they do? If you want the book and if you, you're an idiot, if you don't, all the bonuses, double your money back plus pizza guarantee, wellfedbusiness.com forward slash book, B-O-O-K. And if you really want to be interested, you don't want to wait for that, email Holly. Holly at H O L L Y at wellfedbusiness.com. Cheer you. Bye. Tip tip. <laughs>